That's about as unsabbathy a reading as you could possibly come up with in the Bible, don't you think? There is not a whole lot of rest on Palm Sunday. We've been exploring the practice of Sabbath throughout Lent, the commandment to pause in the midst of the daily hustle and bustle and bask in the goodness and givenness of life. When we began, we noted that life is meant to be a pattern of work and rest, inhaling and exhaling. God modeled it that way in creation, after all. We have been focusing on the rest part, but there's no getting around it here at the start of Holy Week. Our story today is not a Sabbath one. It is busy, full of action, full of activity. Moments of quiet and rest will follow in the days that are to come, but not now. Palm Sunday is clearly a day of work for Jesus and an especially full one at that. It's a familiar story that we have in front of us this evening, one that we revisit each year with familiar readings and familiar songs and familiar actions. There's no other day for waving palm branches in church. It's a story filled with lots of emotions, jubilant crowds and hopeful disciples and nervous religious leaders. And it sets the stage for everything that's to come in the week ahead, the chaos and conflict and confusion that will finally lead to Jesus's death. Many of us know this story very well. It's certainly familiar to me. But something stood out to me in coming back to it this year, something I'm not sure I've noticed quite this way before. Nothing that happens in our gospel reading today looks like an accident. Jesus seems intent on making a scene. He draws a whole lot of attention to himself and appears to quite deliberately provoke the conflict that comes. Jesus is no stranger to conflicts with the religious elite of his time. You all know that. From the very start, he's been debating with other leaders, often articulating a different understanding of their common faith. We saw one example last week where he tangled with a group of Pharisees who didn't think highly of his observance of the Sabbath. First, because his disciples were plucking grain, and second, because he healed a man's hand. Arguments like this were commonplace for Jesus. He certainly didn't shy away from conflict when it came to living and proclaiming the vision of a just and whole society. Jesus never ran away from conflict, but up until now, he doesn't exactly seem to be looking for it either. His disputes with religious leaders were off in the small villages of Galilee, and they seemed to sort of arise naturally from somebody noticing what he was up to and asking what he was doing and under what authority. But today is different. Today, Jesus seems intent on making an entrance on a grand scale, making a statement, virtually ensuring that conflict will come. Did you notice that? It starts on the Mount of Olives on the outskirts of Jerusalem when he sends a couple disciples off to fetch a donkey and a colt. It sounds like Jesus has maybe arranged for these animals ahead of time, even with this sort of agreed upon password, the Lord needs them to ensure that they're given to the right people. Jesus knows exactly how he wants to enter the city, riding on a donkey with followers all around him, singing and dancing and welcoming his arrival. I've heard the Palm Sunday procession described before as almost like a kind of street theater, precisely calculated to draw attention. 
It's sort of a parody of the way a Roman ruler might enter a city in Jesus' day. A general who's just returned from a successful battle would enter the city in a big ceremonial parade. Jesus' procession has lots of the familiar ingredients, but they're all scrambled up. In place of a regal war horse, Jesus is riding a common donkey. In place of armed soldiers, there are peasants with branches all around him. In place of a display of force, there are poor people with songs. Jesus could have entered the city in an unobtrusive way, sort of blended in with all these crowds coming for Passover. But it seems he had something else in mind, an entrance that would deliberately draw attention to him as a ruler of sorts, a different kind of king approaching the city. And Jesus isn't through. He heads straight to the temple, according to Matthew's gospel, where once again he has plans in mind. He overturns the tables of the money changers and the seats of the people selling doves, citing these couple of scripture passages in the process. My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Jesus isn't questioning the whole temple system here. Travelers coming from distant places needed to buy animals for sacrifices and they needed to change their coins. His conflict is with the religious elites, the higher-ups who were in league with the Romans and who benefited from the economic system in the temple. In any event, you didn't run around turning over tables in the temple courtyard at Passover time if you wanted to keep a low profile, right? Jesus had to have known there would be repercussions to making a scene like this. And indeed, there are. The chief priests and the scribes notice with dismay all the attention he's drawing. When Jesus finally heads to the nearby village of Bethany at the end of the day, he has clearly succeeded in royally riling up the city. And it seems this was all part of his plan. It seems he intended all this attention and the conflict that it would lead to. Why? There are lots of ways to answer that question, but I'm interested in one in particular this year. I think it has something to do with that cry of Hosanna. That is the Palm Sunday refrain, of course. As Jesus enters the city, the crowds are shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Again in the temple, the children are repeating what they heard their grown-ups say. Hosanna to the son of David. The word we associate with this day comes from Psalm 118, that's one that we read at the beginning of our service. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. Hosanna means save us. That is the cry of the people as Jesus enters the city, and that's the cry as Jesus heals in the temple. Save us, son of David. Hosanna. We can say that the crowds didn't really understand what was going on. They maybe imagined Jesus was about to start a rebellion, rile up the masses, and overthrow the oppressors. And we can say that the crowds who called for Jesus' help here turned on him in a few short days when he didn't live up to their hopes. Once he was captured and humiliated, they called for his death. The crowds aren't perfect, that's for sure. But today, as Jesus enters the city, I think they are a model for us. We are invited to join their cry, calling to Jesus for help. He is our ruler, the highest authority in our lives, and we can call on him with the crowds today. Hosanna, save us. 
It's a simple prayer, but it is a profound one. To cry, save us, is to say that we can't do it all ourselves. We know we are not sufficient. We know our abilities are limited. There are things we can't control and we can't go it alone. We need help. For many of us, it is hard to admit this sort of thing. We live in a culture that prizes self-sufficiency, that says we should always be strong, that we should be able to climb any mountain, overcome any challenge. But of course, the truth is that much of life is beyond our control. We can't really control the actions of others. We can't control the movement of world events. We can't control what happens to our loved ones, who gets sick or who gets hurt or who loses a job. The first step in the 12 steps of recovery is admitting powerlessness. Franciscan priest Richard Rohr says this is also the first step in the spiritual life. Admitting our need, admitting our brokenness, admitting the limits of our understanding and our power. The Palm Sunday crowd seems to know something about this. Save us, they cry as Jesus rides into town. Save us from oppression, save us from hunger, save us from fear. We know we can't do it alone, so we call to you. Jesus, save us. Our world cries out in need this Palm Sunday. The people of Malawi cry out as they survey the devastation from the cyclone, the loss of lives and livelihoods and infrastructure and property. The people of Ukraine cry out as the war drags on in their country with no end in sight. The LGBTQ community in Uganda cries out, fearing a new law trampling on their human rights. The people of Turkey and Syria cry out as they struggle to begin rebuilding their lives after the earthquake. We may cry out as well today, recognizing all that is beyond our control in our lives. We cry out for friends, for loved ones, for our neighbors, for the earth, for ourselves. And Jesus welcomes it. He welcomes our cries of Hosanna. He enters the city in a big way, in a display that nobody could miss, so that his followers then and now would know that we can call on him for help. We know where this week is going. We know that Jesus didn't provide help in just the way the crowds thought it might come. Conflict and betrayal are ahead, and beyond them the cross. But the promise of the gospel is that there is help to be found in the one riding into the city today. In his compassion, in his gentleness, in his mercy, in his self-giving love, in his faithfulness to God's purposes, no matter what, the powers even of death will be overthrown. Once again, we look to him, and in our need, we cry out. Thanks be to God. Amen.